All right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, good group this morning. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, not because numbers means anything, but because First Peter means everything. And the Lord um, has spoken to us in a very direct way in this book of First Peter. We have journals in the back if you don't have one. And we just encourage you just to dive in. Jesus does something special within the church on Sunday mornings when we come together. You know, he, he moves amongst us in, in a very particular way. So we encourage you as we're going through this study, if you, if you miss a Sunday, just go back online. It's in the weekly. You can go listen to it. There's different platforms for listening to it. But I really encourage you to just walk through 1 Peter uh, carefully um, with us. And I think that the Lord just has a word uh, for our church. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and pray for us, and then we're going to uh, jump in. So get your Bibles ready, get your journals ready, get your pens ready, and then we'll dive in. Lord, I thank you for the living hope that we have. Lord, we step into this Sunday morning and within this body and within other bodies of believers that are close to us, there has been pain, there has been struggle, there has been anguish, there has been, uh, there have been trials. And Lord, it's, it's passages like what we heard last week and what we'll continue to hear moving through this, this series that give us hope. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit. We need Jesus and Jesus only to be the hero of this morning and the one that we look to. Lord, move out of our minds the things that would distract us. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts so that we would be a people ready to be honest and confess where we've fallen short where we've put idols before you or before serving the living God. Lord, work with us individually and collectively. May every word that would come from me that is not of you fall quickly to the ground and may only what is eternal, what, what is coming from this passage in First Peter and the other adjacent passages that we will look, look at, may those sink into our um, every fiber of our being and encourage us as we walk out of here today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, First Peter. Last week, this is a quick overview. Last week we looked at these passages in verses uh, three through nine, or really it was 10, and said that you could see uh, three parts of salvation. I said you're saved, you're being saved, and you're going to be at some point in time eternally saved. And we broke that down with these terms. Um, you know, which, which are there for you, redemption, sanctification, and glorification. The two truths that I gave you last week that were in your worship guide, and there's only going to be two truths today, and they're in your worship guide as well. Uh, the first one was that true faith will always be tested faith. I think we can see that all throughout Scripture. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you say that you have faith, that will be tested. Um, and the second truth was tested faith that results in genuine sustainable belief, it will increase your love and your joy for Christ and for his church. It reminds you that no matter what you've gone through, yeah, I really do believe. And that's a gift of God. Uh, a very loose paraphrase would be that when we go through various difficult 
and painful. The word grievous was used last week, and we talked about that, and it's, it's painful. We're going through different things as a church. They're not all the same, but there's pain associated with them. And when we go through those, we come out on the other end, we will see in our hearts, in our lives, and with our voices what we really believe. It'll help us determine where we are at in what we call Jesus fellowship. And when we see that in the midst of the trial, the storm, or on the back end, that our hearts are looking up to heaven and we're saying, though you slay me, I will still serve you. I do believe, Lord. I believe that the gospel is my only hope. That is a gift of God's grace. It, it gives us a confidence in this faith that we say that we have. But we often don't know how strong that faith is until we just go through stuff. So by way of introduction, that's where we've been. That's kind of the introduction of this topic. Uh, but right now we're going to jump into 1 Peter chapter 1 still. And we're going to look at uh, three verses, verses 10 through 12. We're hearing the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that this word was breathed out by God. And I pray that God would open up our ears and enable us to hear it. Read it with me. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. There's a lot there. We'll unpack it uh, carefully. As I just said, you know, Peter uh, spends the first nine verses and he's solidifying the gospel. We made the correlation to when we went through Ephesians, how the first three chapters of Ephesians is nothing but gospel, 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 gospel. You won't understand how to live out the gospel until you really understand what Jesus has done. First Corinthians 1.30 says that it is because of him, because of God, that we are in Christ Jesus. It is in Christ that we have our forgiveness, our redemption, our salvation, our justification. And the fact that all of our sins have been washed away. And if we don't understand that, then we won't know how to live out these truths. Um, I made a comment yesterday to, to someone that there was a, you know, a friend that he killed himself. I'll just say that. And, and I look at his life and it just breaks my heart because the truth of the matter is, I believe that instead of believing what Jesus said about his sin, the guilt and the struggle was so great that maybe he inadvertently elevated his own position of the sin over that way, the way that the Lord looks at it. In other words, you know, when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, that's the gospel when we believe that. But sometimes the enemy, Revelation 12, he accuses us day and night. And he says, oh, you're the scum of the earth. I know what you did. I know what you did last summer. You know, I know that thing that you did. And he puts that in front of us over and over. And what happens is this guilt comes. And sometimes that guilt can just absolutely plague us. And that's why we have to start with the gospel. It has to be solidified in our hearts before we can then move to the next step of here's how you live out the gospel. This is what it should look like in your home, in your workspace, within your community. Um, 
you got to have gospel first. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of rules and regulations. So he's giving them gospel. And in this particular passage here, he pauses. It's a very intentional, uh, I have more to say on this gospel kind of a pause. We've got a couple of two or three English teachers in here, and there's probably a word for that. I don't know what it is, but it's a very specific type of a pause where he's saying, and on that note, let me say a few more important things. Or in regards to what I just said about the gospel, I got to stop and say a little bit more before I move on. And he does. And that's why he starts out by saying concerning this salvation. So this additional elaboration of the gospel of salvation, it's going to come in two parts. Uh, the first part we're going to see in a moment, which follows everything that you see here right after concerning salvation. But then we're going to pick it back up next week. You can look at verse number 13, where he begins with the word, therefore. There it is again. There's that therefore. I say all of these things, and then my therefore is going to point back to them based on everything I just told you. And then he's going to walk through the second part of the gospel. And he's going to show us how... If these truths are true, they absolutely should, must change the way that we live, our focus, our thinking, our decision-making, or in verse number 15, it says it this way, how it should impact all our conduct. If the gospel's true, if everything I'm trying to solidify in your heart is true, and if you really believe that, if it does not change the decisions that you make and the way that you live and the way that you confess and the way that you live in this world, then you're not really believing it. And that's why this passage is so important, because it solidifies in our hearts whether we're truly believing the gospel or not. So I want to walk back through the passage, but this time let's pay attention to what I have in red, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. So here's the passage again. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So the prophets are writing about the salvation and they're inquiring and they're trying to find out more. They're trying to inquire, verse number 11, what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the prophets, the patriarchs, the people that have gone before us, they wanted to know and understand more, but they, did, they didn't. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, which we'll come back to, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which even the angels long to look. So here's why I highlight those parts. So who knows who this is? Give me, who is this? Bob Ross. So who all has watched Bob Ross before? Okay, I will say this. I don't think that this, this is a, an untrue statement. If you have not watched Bob Ross yet, you have not lived, okay? So it's important that you, that you take in a little bit of Bob Ross. And I remember watching, you know, sometimes at the beginning of the show, and he's got, and the way that he can only do it, I'm just going to throw a little line here and a, a little blotch of green here, and, and I'm going to throw in a few straight lines of emerald, you know, over here, and let's just put a, you know, whatever, and he's saying these things, and sometimes I would say, oh my gracious, Bob Ross has blown it this time. There's no way that he can make anything out of that. And then you fast forward 25 minutes later, and you're like, how did he do that? 
It's amazing because it was revealed. You know, it was, it was full. What does it have to do with what we're talking about? What's well, the same thing? Concerning the salvation, the first thing that we're seeing and the words that we look at in, well, we saw in red, were the fact that this salvation, it wasn't clear. Even to those that were speaking of it or writing about it, it was veiled. The prophets who were led by the Spirit of God to write what they wrote did not always understand that which they were writing. They didn't understand how it pointed to the Messiah. I mean, for example, even though Isaiah and Zechariah and others clearly stated that salvation was going to come, but it wasn't just going to come to the Jews, it was going to come to the Gentiles as well, they didn't see that. They missed it. Even though they wrote about it, they didn't see it. Or the fact that Messiah would come, the Savior would come, but he was going to suffer and he was going to die. That would just go right over their heads because they only had in their minds that Messiah is going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom and he's going to conquer Rome and then we're no longer going to be under bondage. Instead, it was a blotch of green here and a few lines of brown there. It was some bright orange over here, but it was, it was veiled. It wasn't perfectly clear. I remember a decade ago taking a group of students to New York City and it was a, a, an ensemble group. And one of, the, one of the things that we did on a Friday night was we went to a Jewish synagogue and it was the Friday before um, Easter week. So it wasn't Good Friday, but it was the previous week. And, and this was a, not a, a full Jew. This was, these weren't Jesus following you know, full Jews. These were individuals who did not know that Messiah had come yet. And it was fascinating. The kids didn't want to go to this. I mean, it was New York City. And there's a lot to see in New York City. And it's Friday night and we're going to a Jewish synagogue. Really? That's the way that they felt looking at it on the front end. And on the back end, when we said, so what was your favorite thing and how was this impactful? The majority of the students said what was most impactful was that Friday evening. Because what it did was it showed them what they had not seen before, which is what had been revealed to them clearly regarding Jesus and his gospel. This group of people were still waiting for Jesus to come. They were reading passages about Jesus, but they did not see Jesus in those passages. They were reading and singing psalms from the word of God in the Old Testament that were clearly pointing to Jesus. And they're looking at each other and they're like, they don't see it, do they? And we had great discussions about that. It was veiled. It wasn't clear to them. And we see it in the Gospels as well. Jesus telling his disciples things like, and these are loose paraphrases. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going away, but I'll return. And they didn't fully understand these things. Instead, they, they got into debates. Well, who's going to sit on your right? And who's going to sit on your left when you come into the kingdom? Or, you know, Peter declaring, you'll, you'll never suffer. I'll never let it happen to you. There's no way that I'll allow something bad, you know, to happen to you. The prophets and the angels and the disciples, they got bits and pieces of the truth, bits and pieces of this salvation that was to come. But it was never clear to them until, and hear me on this church, until Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, so look at this passage with me. This is John 12, 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, Jesus had risen from the dead, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and done to him. 
they remembered and they finally understood what had been veiled was now no longer veiled and it was clear to them. Or remember the two guys that are walking on the road to Emmaus and they're talking about this Jesus who had died and there's a rumor that he's risen from the dead and they're having a conversation and Jesus comes up and begins talking with them. And this is what was said. Jesus says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... Hear this, see this, look at this. Beginning with Moses, he goes back to the very beginning. Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, all in the scriptures, the things concerning, you see it? Himself. He started with Moses, went through all of the prophets, and he unveiled to them the full picture, that which they could not see before, that all of these were pointing to Messiah. All the way back to the beginning of this redemptive love story that starts with, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of God's love for creation of, redemption plan for humanity. And from that point, all the way to the very end of Revelation, everything is going to be about him. This was a passage that we looked at back in at Christmas, John 5, 39. It says, you search the scriptures because you think that you have in them eternal life, Jesus says, and it is they, the scriptures, they bear witness about me. You read the scriptures and you memorize scriptures, you scribes and Pharisees and you Sadducees, and you think that by understanding and by keeping the law that you're going to live forever. But what you're missing is the main thing. What are these scriptures for so that you can know how to live a moral, righteous, law, you know, abiding life? No, these are the scriptures that are pointing to your sinful condition and a loving God who's going to rescue you. It's all about King Jesus. And this is why we looked at this back in Christmas of 2020 during our Advent season. This is why it says, but when the fullness of time had come as a part of the story, when it's time to finally reveal the end of the story, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to bring an ending, an understanding to this redemption story. All of the time before and after points to and leads up to this one occurrence, the death, burial, first off the coming, the incarnation, and then the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ offered to us as a sacrifice to pay for our sins so that we can have a relationship with our creator, that's gospel. It all points to the gospel, and Jesus is and will always be the hero of that gospel story. The angels came to Abraham and told him that he would be the father of many nations and that all of the earth would be blessed through him, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, and all of this was pointing to Christ's coming. Coming, But it wasn't clear to them. It was like a Bob Ross painting. It was just a smudge here and it was a line there. And this is why Ephesians 3, 9 and 10 says it this way. And to bring to light. Here we are. There's the revealing. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan 
of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, through us, the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now or might be made known, not just to us, but look at this, to the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly places. What was veiled before, once hidden, is now made known, is now brought to light. The picture is made clear. It's the end of the Bob Ross episode. And you go, oh my gracious, I see it now through us, the church, and even to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. The angels long to understand these things from Abraham's call to be the father of many nations, which we understand it was pointing to Jesus and, and him having a people of his own and establishing his kingdom, to Moses being used as a leader to lead God's people out of bondage, which we see over and over in the New Testament, that that bondage typified the sinful condition where we are in bondage and we are needing to be delivered. David being a type of Christ, a king that would rule over his kingdom. Jesus would one day rule over his kingdom. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. Nothing compared to Jesus who is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All of those stories point to Messiah coming, to the incarnation of Christ and ultimately his sacrificial death. Or I think about in the Old Testament, you know, you remember the people of Israel and they, they sinned and God had given Moses the you know, his power, and he took up a serpent in his hand. And when he did, God enabled that serpent to be you know, turned into a staff. And when the people would sin, Moses would stand up and he would raise what used to be a serpent, which represents sin, and he would hold it in the air. And when people would look at that staff, their sins would be taken away. John three fourteen says it this way, and as Moses was lifted up in the will, as a serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. That wasn't just a random story about a snake that turned into a staff that Moses used. Every bit of that was symbolism that was pointing to Messiah is coming. He will be lifted up. And if you will look unto him, you will be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, for our sake he made him to be sin or to be a sin offering who knew no sin. We're talking about Jesus here so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He, Jesus was the staff that was lifted high. It points to Jesus. All of scripture points to Christ. If you want to hear more of that, you can go back and listen to our summer series. We had men that came and they presented the Old Testament feasts and they showed how all of these Old Testament feasts pointed to the gospel. They weren't just random feasts. They had gospel laced from beginning to end. And all of that leads us to, and this is in your worship guide if you're taking notes, this is truth number one. Truth number one regarding this salvation, concerning salvation, as Peter says, all of scripture leads to Christ's coming and his provision of salvation, but until his resurrection, and you're filling the blanks, until his resurrection, most of this redemptive story was veiled. It was veiled. They didn't see it. But there's more. There's two points I really want you to get. I really want you to come next week if you can. 
because all we're doing is setting the stage for a really important lesson over the next couple of weeks. But you need to get this first. So let's go back to our passage again. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 12. I got some different red words this time around. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Notice that. Searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time. Oops, I hit the wrong button. What person or time. Uh, I completely lost my notes. Here we go. Uh, the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now notice the red. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you. Through those who have preached the good news to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which the angels long to look. So, okay, church, if we miss this, the weightiness of what Peter is trying to say, then we're going to miss the whole point of this passage. And here it is, going back to truth number one, we see that all of creation, all of God's prophets, his angels have been waiting for the fullness of salvation to be revealed, and it has been to us, to us, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, things that have been now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. Got to see that. We need to see this. And that takes us to truth number two, our final truth of the day, which is this. Using our painting illustration, God's masterpiece on his canvas, which we'll call salvation, has been revealed in its fullness to us. To us through the church, to us individually as his Jesus followers. Verse number 10 again, grace that was to be yours, announced to you, good news preached to you. It really is incredible. And I fear that we take these truths for granted and that we don't feel the weight of the glory of them and this incredible unveiling that we as a church, even in Elizabeth, and are very much a part of it. But if those that have gone before us, the patriarchs, the prophets, the angels, they see it and they rejoice and they're watching us and they want to see what our response is to this to the master's unveiling. Hebrews 11 walks through the incredible faith chapter and he gives illustration, individual, you know, after individual who had faith. And it ends with this, 11, 39, and 40. All of these people who did all of these amazing things in faith, listen to what it says, and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that they, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They didn't get to see the promise. They had faith, but they all died before they got to see the promise. The promise himself, Messiah, he has come. He has lived upon this earth. He was born. He rose from the dead. 
He left and he said, it's better that I leave because I'll come back to you. And for those of us, I think I got an amen from Theo. Thank you, Theo. But for, for those of us that proclaim and that believe the name of Jesus Christ, he gives us his very spirit, the same spirit according to the word of God that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us. And it's that gospel foundation that is the catalyst for everything else he's going to say in this marvelous book. For it's only that understanding that enables us to be able to live what we will be told next week is a holy, holy life. It's amazing. And they didn't understand this. They long to see these things, but they've come to us. Keith Green wrote a song years ago, and I just remember the one phrase, and he's talking about the church, and he says that we don't see it because we're asleep in the light. The light has dawned upon us. The gospel has been made clear, and we've been dulled by hearing it over and over, and we have fallen asleep. But the angels are rejoicing, and they're watching in fact, Hebrews goes on to say in the very next verse, look at this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great of a cloud of witnesses. This is the Hebrews 11, you know, one and following people of faith that have gone before us. And they didn't understand and they passed away. Now there's this great cloud of witnesses and they're looking. It's the patriarchs and it's even the angels. And he says, therefore, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set for us. Looking to Jesus, the founder or the author and the perfecter of our faith. We looked at this verse last week. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We're surrounded. Great cloud of witnesses, amazed that this salvation has come to us. And if that is true, it should, it absolutely must affect how we live our lives. We cannot say that we understand these things and continue to live the way that we did before these truths were revealed to us. That is inconsistent with salvation and the living Christ living within you and me. It impacts us. And we'll see that next week and in the week that follows. Going back to this phrase that we just read here, for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, it would be a grievous error if I did not connect what we discussed last week with this passage regarding trials. First Peter's laced with lots of conversation about trials. And last week we talked about these different, these varied, various, I think it was the word that was used, these trials, and there's grievous trials. And we looked at the, what that word means in the Greek and we talked about the pain that's there and it's real. It hurts. When you go through these trials, we don't necessarily understand them and they're painful. And in this body, we have people today that are going through serious trials. There's, there's struggle. I mean, I could list a lot of them. There's, there's miscarriages, multiple miscarriages. There's Mark Scare. I had a stroke a few days ago. 
You know, there's, there's other things, and I don't know all of them, but there's pain, there's real pain. There's people that are struggling with their, their own bad decisions. There's, there's just pain. There's marriages that are struggling. There's pain, and we don't necessarily fully understand those things. Some of that is veiled, and some of that we may not ever understand. But God is doing a work. And he's trying to draw us to a place where we understand that the only hope that we have is what the earlier scripture called the living hope of the gospel. These trials, these tribulations, they're hard. And in the same way that salvation was veiled and not fully understood, it might be the same with some of us that are going through various trials. So what do we do? We see dimly right now But 1 Corinthians says that one day that we'll see face to face. So what do we do? Well, the righteous shall live by faith. We're solidified in our faith. That no matter what I'm going through and no matter how this hurts, we're going to get through this because we believe in the living hope of the gospel. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's covered our sins. We're broken people. We repent over and over and over and we cling to the only hope that this world has. The one that can restore all that is broken and make it right and bring healing to that which hurts. That's all Jesus. And that's why all of the passages and all of scripture points to Jesus. The righteous shall live by faith. For the joy that was set before them, him, he endured the cross. And for the joy that is set before us, this glorification, this finality of our salvation, we are able to endure the trials as well receiving what we looked at last week, the outcome of our faith, which is the final salvation of our souls. And I pray that just knowing that one day the picture will be made clear, even if it's not while you are on earth, that your faith in God will be strengthened, even though you don't see. Sorry about that. There's real real people right now that I know and I love that are hurting. And I pray that you all will see this and that you'll cling to it. You may not get it on this earth, but cling to the hope of the gospel. It's the only, only thing that we can cling to. Jesus makes it right. He'll take away the pain. The trials are presented to us sometimes and they're, they're not clear. It's a line. It's a smudge of green and a little orange here. And you're like, what is God doing? This painting makes no sense. One day it will. One day it will. And in the meantime, we need, to, we need to just have faith that God knows what he's doing. Do you believe in God? Do you believe that he's good? And do you trust him? Those are the basic questions that everything boils down to. In closing, I want to look at the passage just one more time. I want it to settle into your hearts and into your your souls personally what Jesus is doing. Look at this. I left these blanks open. I'm going to read it to you. I'll read the first time, and then the second time I want you to read it to yourself, but read it quietly. The first one, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, Redstone Church Elizabethan. This grace is to come to you. They searched and they inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, to these angels and to these prophets, that they weren't serving themselves, but you 
and you're included in this Redstone Church, Elizabethan. In the things that have been announced to us, Redstone Church, Elizabethan, through those who preach the good news to us that believe, that's us, Redstone Church, Elizabethan, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. He's writing to the church. And I'm going to come to one more passage, and then we're going to close in a moment, that will solidify this next part. I want you to go through and just read it again. But this time, where you see a blank, I ask that you pray that God would give you the faith to believe that your name can be inserted in that. Just read it and put your name in there over and over and say, God, give me faith to believe that. It's powerful. If we'll believe it. And this is the passage I want to end on. It solidifies what we just read. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live that may be full of trials and tribulations and grievous pains. I live in faith, by faith in the one and the Christ who gave himself to me. Do you see that? He loved me and he gave himself for me. That's so personal. It's so powerful that sometimes it's almost too good to be true that the God of the universe would lay down his life for me. Church, he knows where you're at. He knows where we're at. He knows the pain. He knows the struggle. He knows the struggle with belief. He loves us nonetheless. He has given himself for a broken people, an inconsistent, broken people with Hearts that are idol factories, I think is what Calvin called them. It's us. And he died for you, and he died for me, and he says, believe that. I will live within you, and I will be there with you as you go through these things that hurt and that you don't understand. And the fact that you'll go through them and find your heart still believing and rejoicing in the truth is solidification that you are my child. It's beautiful. It's good. It's holy. These are holy moments revealed to me, the Son of God who loved me, Jesus who gave himself for me. This mystery of the ages has been revealed to us. May we not be asleep in the light, but may he give us the faith to see these things and to rejoice in them. And may the joy that is set before us, a finality of our salvation, give us the faith to endure whatever comes our way. He's setting the stage for more things, but right now, let's just let this sink in. The painting's clear. 
And we got to see it when other people did not. And some of us may haven't even seen it yet. Pray that God would give you the faith to step into that and say, I believe. I've been in church my whole life, maybe, but only now do I believe. This is the eternity that we're talking about, people. Let's just be still before the Lord for a few moments. We'll pray and see what, what God does in our hearts.